Welcome to the Misfit Stars Podcast. I'm Shannon Curtis. And I'm Jamie Hill. Hi, listeners. Shannon and I are a married pair of working artists. It never gets less weird to say that. <laughs> yeah. And this podcast is our weekly date for getting on microphones and talking with one another and with you about what's mattering to us this week. We're so happy you're here with us. And hi, Shannon. Hello. Hi there, sugar. Dear one. Mm-hmm. Husband of mine. Uh-huh. That sounds weird. Love of my life. Nice. Soulmate? Honored, really, yeah. <laughs> hey, let's start with, that, with some uh, announcements, announcements, announcements. We nice. Have, we have two that I've identified. Okay, that great. Are both very exciting. Okay, great, go. The first one uh, is something that you've already heard us mention, mm-hmm. which is that we have our first ever headlining theater show coming up in April on the 21st in Sacramento, at the Sophia, it's like the most beautiful Sacramento, room. California, USA for our international oh, listeners. thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That's important to acknowledge. Yeah. Uh, it is a beautiful room. We are bringing for the first time to the stage this new live performance format that we've been dreaming, imagining, conjuring up for a while now. Mm-hmm. And it's all coming To Sacramento on April 21st. And man, it's starting to come together in some cool ways too. So uh, we've been talking with you, I think earlier about the fact that we are working with a uh, a really cool video artist. Yes. Uh, And he's going to make video. He and his little uh, ad hoc team of other PhD nerds. He is currently (laughs) making video. Yeah. Yeah. uh, They're making video for every one of the uh, 17 songs that we're going to play in this show. (laughs) It's just going to be this just overload of sight and sound. It's all going to be really, really cool. The whole point is to make this just like really immersive, just full sensory experience. Yeah. And I, like I'm, I can't, it's, I'm so excited about it. Here, I, I'm so excited. Here's something else on that front. So I have been sort of working uh, with the venue's technical director. Uh, and he is... I'm quickly coming to understand super passionate about what he does. Oh, yeah. Really, really mm-hmm. just like cares about it in a personal level. That He's like us. He likes to make things better and like get in there and see what he can do to like really create something awesome. And so they had had a, a video projection system and he wasn't real happy with it and it wasn't really working very well. It was, it's long story short, he's designing an entire, he's using our show as an excuse to design an entirely new mega scale rear projection system for the theater. For, the, like, for their 50 foot screen. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like he has to figure out a new mounting point, a, a new battery yeah. system. He has to figure out new electrical, like the whole thing. But he's like super stoked about it. He just emailed me yesterday and I think that like we're going to be the test case for this. Awesome. And there's going to be, you know, 50 foot wide <laughs> by 21 foot tall. Visuals. Like, yeah. Imagine like, you know, it's basically basically a movie theater size screen, only bigger. Yeah, right. It's going to be so Oh fun. my gosh. I'm just, I'm so excited. So if you are within uh, any kind of distance that you can get yourself to Sacramento mm-hmm. on on April 21st, please, please come. Jamie will put a link to the tickets in the show notes mm-hmm. so that you can 
easily access that link and get your tickets. Um, we are we're going to be filming this show mm-hmm. as a, a way to uh, hopefully book more shows like this mm-hmm. in the future. That's the the goal and that's the aim. And so you can your presence there will help us uh, be able to do more of this because all the excitement that we can pack into that room is just going to make it so good for for this first experience for the video. And it's going to really just I don't know. You're like the cannon that's going to be shooting us out into the universe with this new thing. I like it's gonna it. be great. Yeah. So that's the first announcement. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second announcement, maybe you want to take this one. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. People, we've got a brand new song coming at you this Friday. And it's a mystery. We've oh, been dropping my gosh. clues. Yeah. Okay. So clue number one that we that we dropped uh on Monday this week was if you are into John Hughes movies like we are, mm-hmm. because of course we were teens when they were all coming out in the in the eighties, and I still have so much love. They, they stand up; they're so fun. Still, they're still emotionally they're still, resonant. Yes, but to be specific, that's a good point. Yes. So, if you are a fan of John Hughes movies, we think you're going to be stoked about this mystery release on mm-hmm. Friday. Mm-hmm. That was clue one. Clue one. That clue, was on Monday. Clue two, which we dropped on Tuesday, uh huh, is just a photo of the album artwork for the Pretty in Pink soundtrack, but with Molly Ringwald's face replaced with Shannon's face. (laughs) You've got to go see it on our socials. So there's clue number two. Uh, We'll come up with other clues as we, as we near the end of the week here. And you'll be, you can follow those along on our social media channels. Uh, But this mystery release is coming Friday. You're going to, Flip. It's so great. Um, And we'll talk more about what it is and what the broader scope of this project is on next week's podcast because it's still a mystery. Yep. And you can't know any more than that. Yeah. So there you go. Like once you hear the first one and we'll tell you about like, you know, what the scope of the project is uh, next week. And I think you all are going to flip out. Yeah. It's It's a really, really good project and it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a joyful project too. Like that's one of my favorite things about it. Yep. So Jamie. Oh, hold on. Oh, oh, I have a third announcement. Oh, you do? I didn't know. Yeah. So people, uh, this is an evergreen announcement, but I would be remiss were I not to say Shannon's current album, her brand new album, Good to Me is out in the world. Have you listened to it yet? (gasps) I ask every week and I'm sure that there are people who are hearing my voice right now, who are like, fuck. I keep asked, meaning to. He asks me every week, and I, I, I always mean to, but then I get caught up in the podcast, and I see something shiny, and I forget. Well, just pause the podcast right now, and go to Spotify, or wherever you listen to music, and just look up Shannon's record, Good To Me, and just heart it, and just go back and listen to it later. There you go. You know? Great idea. Uh, also, if you're not following Shannon on Spotify, now would be a great time to do that. And the reason is, it would help us. Mm. Because when you follow someone on Spotify... Two things happen. One, you get alerted when they put out new music like we're going to be doing in a couple of days. Also, when that new music is delivered to you and to other people, that feeds into Spotify's algorithm, which then subsequently goes and shows that to other people who like what you like. And guess what? We have seen some of that algorithmic stuff working in our favor just over the last couple of weeks. We had uh, the algorithm in Spotify like figured out that a bunch of people were listening to and liking and and, uh, following me because of the song Good To Me on our new album. Title song. The title song. And as a result, they put it in one of their algorithmic Spotify, or algorithmic algorithmic playlists. Say that word five times fast. It's hard. Algorithmic, 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 algorithmic. Okay, show off. Okay, so uh, they put it in one of those playlists and uh, we had a massive bump in brand new listeners just this this past week, specifically in Sweden, which was awesome. Uh, And also we're making plans to tour over there. So great. Um, And so... 
you know, this, the, by doing this, you actually help. Like, we're starting to see the the results of y'all like listening and following yeah. actually, uh, actually working. Yeah, keep so, it up. Keep it up. Thank you, uh, Jamie. Yes. How are you feeling today? Thanks for asking, sweetheart. Uh, you know, I'm feeling purposeful and a little somber. Okay. At the moment. Okay. Um. You know, so I'm feeling purposeful just for all the reasons one might expect. We have a shitload of things going on. I feel very driven and focused on all of them. Uh, mm-hmm. We're just doing our thing, uh, getting good results, uh, just working through the work, and it's good. And that's great, and I am enjoying work time. It's a lot right now, but it's also really good. I'm also just feeling a little bit somber. Uh, I just had an opportunity uh, earlier to talk with a friend who's just going through a, a difficult transitional point in their life. Uh And as with so many people in the world right now, and as with so many people who are in transitional places, there's trauma there. There's trauma, Mm. you know, from the specific thing itself. But the conditions that are causing this transition Mm. point in this person's life come from trauma. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, there's just so much trauma out there. And it really gave me an opportunity to reflect on that. Mm. And I'm grateful to have that opportunity to reflect. uh, And also, I'm just kind of in that reflective space around that right now. Yeah, I feel that. You know? I feel that. How are you feeling? I am feeling, I'm feeling steady. Good. Uh, Just like I said, we've got lots going on, but it's all enjoyable work and like, you know, uh, but it's like we're getting at it, and it's mm-hmm. really good. Yep. I'm also, I just was feeling like I went over my feelings list to find the exact words that that matched my feelings here. Do, yep. And I, I, I have a mixture of enthusiastic and giddy. I love it, <laughs> uh, specifically about the stuff that that we're working on, like you know this yeah. new mystery project coming out Friday, the show that we're building for April in Sacramento, um, other work that we're doing. Like I'm just like. Like I'm, I'm, I'm excited about all of it. So that's really cool. And like Great. one of the things I think that allows me to feel both steady and excited like this at the same time is the fact of us taking weekends. Like yeah. we've, we've been doing this pretty consistently for like almost a year now, maybe. I don't remember when we started it exactly. Nine months, year, yeah. Yeah, and like what a difference. I, I read a, a piece in the Seattle Times yesterday about how there was a study done of for people who treated weekends like a vacation mm-hmm. versus people who treated weekends like, okay, it's time to catch up on all my stuff I have to do like around the house or whatever. Yeah. Which, you know, in in a certain way, being able to just treat a weekend like a vacation is kind of a privilege. Like yeah. a lot of folks are so busy. They have to take care of their chores over the weekend, yeah. you know, when they're not working. So I'm feeling really grateful for the fact that we actually can take weekends, but uh, it's been hard over the course of being self-employed to actually do that, right? Yeah. Like, because we're always like, oh, we could be working. Every day <laughs> you know? that you're not working, you're not making money, you're bottom not, line. You're not advancing things. However, what I think we have, I've learned so, like, concretely over these last num- number of months since we've been doing the the solid weekend thing mm-hmm. is that I'm actually able to show up more enthusiastically and in a more, like, steady way for my work Monday through Friday. Yeah. And, like... And it's it's enjoyable, and I'm I think I'm more productive, uh, be, because of having taken like real rest. Yeah. And so, anyway, that's how I'm feeling, and yay. Love it. <laughs> that's great. So uh, let's get less dumb. Class, anyone? Anyone? I'm under the impression that you have an item for us. Uh, yeah, I do. What is it? So, uh, man. Uh, this is so interesting to me. It was just like a big light bulb moment. So there's this really great uh, Substack piece came out this week, just a couple of days ago over the weekend that I read. Uh, it's by someone I'm not familiar with named A.R. Moxon. M-O-X-O-N is their okay. name. 
Uh, and I'll put a link to the the piece in the show notes just so people can read it if they want to. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's called The Case for Shunning. Oh, okay. It is. Okay. And so it's apropos of uh, Scott Adams. So oh. people listening might be aware that the cartoonist Scott Adams, the guy who created Dilbert, mm-hmm. uh, has become over the last like 15 years a tremendous right-wing crank. Uh over this last weekend, he managed to say some stuff uh, on like a video podcast thing that was so extra, extremely racist. This is outside of the already really terrible and racist shit he's been saying for like, you know, the a better long, part of 15 years. Yeah, a long time. He managed to say something so much worse than that in mm. terms of its racism that uh, he got he got desyndicated by the company that syndicates his cartoon. Right, and he was like in all the major newspapers. He was everywhere like worldwide. Yeah, he was He's, everywhere. It's one of the most popular comics in history. And the syndicate was like, nope. Yeah, totally. Like, first, all these individual papers were like, uh, no, we're not doing this. And then his syndicate was like, uh, no. Like, that's just like that's your distributor. You know what I mean? Yeah. That means all of a sudden his readership literally is kind of going to zero. Right. Aside from like racists who go find it on his website, I guess. Right, you right. Um, so, uh, you know, the piece is insightful and thoughtful and also very, very funny a lot of the time. Uh, But there was a part about the idea of skepticism that rang and how it relates to supremacy that felt skepticism. Yes, that felt so insightful to me. I'm just going to excerpt it here for people. Okay. 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 So he, uh, I'm just picking up in the middle, but you'll get the drift. Okay. Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert, sure does seem to believe the central message of Dilbert. He's very impressed by his own lack of stupidity and also very impressed by what he perceives as the extreme stupidity of almost everyone else. He's not impressed by too much else. He's mostly skeptical. He's skeptical about the science, for one thing. What science? All of it, as far as I can tell. He's skeptical about climate catastrophe and doesn't believe it's caused by human activity, even though we are now in the midst of a rolling series of climate catastrophes. He's skeptical about the severity of the COVID pandemic, which has caused millions of deaths worldwide. He's skeptical about the existence of anti-black and anti-trans and anti-woman bigotry, even though he has claimed to believe that black people have a naturally lower average IQ than other races (sighs) and that women are not as naturally well-suited to technical fields as men and that atavistic discomfort is a natural and perfectly understandable reaction for a person to have at the sight of a trans person. Oh my God. Adams is very proudly a skeptic on all these matters and is skeptical as a general rule, which is unsurprising since skepticism is a common posture among those who believe one of the foundational tenets of supremacy, that reality must be mediated through and approved by them in order to be deemed real by the rest of us. Oh my God. What an interesting thesis statement. He continues. Again, Adam's authority for positioning himself an arbiter of reality is that he created Dilbert, which looks like it was drawn by a modestly talented 11-year-old and which recently has started incorporating anti-diversity and anti-trans material reflecting the worldview of its creator, who, in case I have not mentioned, it is Scott Adams. (laughs) It's worth noting that Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert, is not a climate scientist or an expert in the fields of racial or gender studies, which are areas of studies being criminalized as felonies in the state of Florida, by the way. Mm -hmm. And he is a medical professional dedicated to the latest developments in transgender treatment 
or an epidemiologist, all of which are areas of study so rich and deep and complex that very smart people devote their entire lives to understanding them mm -hmm. so they can finally butt up against the edges of human knowledge in hope of advancing it. Nevertheless, they have all committed the regrettable sin of not being convincing enough to Scott Adams, the creator of the Dilbert comic strip, who cannot draw hands as far as I can tell. <laughs> the skepticism of Scott Albums, creator of Dilbert, does have its limits. He is not skeptical about Donald Trump, who is a former president of the United States, and who is also one of the most profoundly ignorant and grotesquely obvious scam artists of the century, and who is also an open authoritarian and white supremacist bag of dicks, and so on. Adams finds Trump perfectly credible on any number of issues that neither he nor Trump are expert in, and he finds discredited race science and discredited climate change denialism and discredited COVID conspiracy theories to be very convincing, too. The thing that seems to make Adams skeptical is credible evidence. Wherever credible evidence exists, he's skeptical of it. <laughs> Where it is absent, he is a believer. <laughs> it's a sort of upside-down worldview, unless you realize that it reflects exactly the sort of rhetorical condition that would be necessary to exist in order for the creator of a crudely drawn comic strip to be able to position himself as an arbiter of reality. Mm. I just thought that was wildly mm. insightful. Yep. Oh my gosh. Because yep. this just maps so directly to so much of our experience over the last I don't know, decade or mm -hmm. more, right? Like all the people who are the most authoritarian in their worldview are also the most skeptical. Think Tucker Carlson. Just they the, the pride just, themselves in being skeptical. Oh yeah, the, the, the I'm just asking questions crew. Right. Right? right, as a way of dismissing science while asserting your own worldview. Right. Interjecting yourself between reality and the people who need to understand it. Right. And mediating it and controlling it and twisting it. Also, interjecting your, your view of, of, of the world, which is bound up in your identity, like your view of, of how the power structures in the world work mm -hmm. and how those are bound up with your identity. Uh, putting, uh, and putting that between yourself and reality sure. because it's too painful to accept credible evidence that disrupts the worldview that puts you at the top of the pecking order. Yeah, right. Totally. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. This entire piece, you guys, is just like, it's insight after insight. It's it's really wild. The The, the central thrust of it is the idea that that it's not that Scott Adams and people like him is being misunderstood. Right. It's that he is being understood. <laughs> For which, who he is. Yeah, which is what people do not, which is what people like this don't want. They want to be able to say the things without being subsequently accused of being Judged. the kind of person who says those sorts of things. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right, like you get a complaint all the time from folks like this. No, you're misunderstanding me. You're you're not getting my point. You know, yeah. no, and it's like, no, we get you. We yeah. see you, and you're an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, as is uh, often the case in our "Let's Get Less Dumb" segment, I'm less dumb and also more furious, more appalled. <laughs> Let's get more appalled. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have an item today for our suggestion box. I want to speak to you, manager, now, please. Rad, me too. You first. What you got? Okay, so uh, in keeping with my theme of like, hey, let's do more of this for the suggestion box. It's yeah. Less complainy, more like, hey, good idea. So is mine. Sweet. Okay. okay. Great. I read this article this week. 
And I wondered actually if they put this, the results of this study out this past week, uh, because last weekend in the United States, there was um, uh, President's Day weekend. It was one of the like three day weekends that we get, that people get generally speaking, you know, and so therefore a four day work week followed that three day weekend. And And I wonder if maybe they did press around this article on that week for this very reason. Oh, that's interesting. That makes sense. Total side note, but the history of President's Day is wonderful for anyone who doesn't know it. Uh, It's a non holiday, right? It's like, it's a holiday to celebrate presidents. Like, come on. But the reason it was founded was Mm -hmm. essentially to thumb, like it was America thumbing its knows at Britain way oh, back in the day. That's funny. It's really funny. You should oh go gosh. read the history. It's just really petty and great. So, <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, anyway. So my item for suggestion boxes is, is related to this article that I read last week uh, about a study that concluded recently in the UK. It was uh, it was the, the largest study on the f- a four-day work week that's been done so far. Yeah, a practical hands-on study. Not like an opinion thing, but actually like let's try this let's, in practice yes, with so a control I'm and let's see how this goes. tell you all about it. So the headline is a four-day work week pilot was so successful most firms say they won't go back. So most of the companies. Yeah. So, not the workers, but their companies. Yeah, so this is the, in the Washington Post article. Dozens of companies took part in this uh, in the world's longest trial so far of a four-day work week. Um, and a majority of supervisors and employees liked it so much that they decided to keep the arrangement. So mm. in fact, 15% of the employees, the workers who participated said that no amount of money would convince them to go back to working five days a week. Like right. they're like, nope, this I'm sold forever. There were three thousand employees that took that took part in this. Yeah. Um, the companies that participated, the way it worked is that they they could adopt different methods to what they say meaningfully shorten their employees' work weeks. So like they could, they could give the employees one day a week off, or they could reduce their working days in a year, yeah. or they, but it had to average out to 32 hours a week, yeah. okay? 180-100 um, is the model that, as I heard it being described. So the, the employees had to commit to accomplishing 100% of the work in 80% of the time oh, for 100% of the pay. Yes, that was the thing. That, 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 that no matter, because of the hour reduction, they still the companies still had to ensure that the employees received 100% of their pay. Right. Um, and reciprocally, the employees had to commit to finishing 100% of a week's work, but in, work. To, in 80% of the time. Right, yeah. amazing. Okay, so at the end of the experiment, uh, the employees reported a variety of benefits related to their sleep, stress levels, personal lives, mental health. Uh, The company's revenue stayed broadly the same during the six-month trial, but it also, the revenue also rose 35% on average when compared with a similar period from previous years. Dang. So, and resignations decreased also. Happy, motivated workers who want to stay where they are. Exactly. Win, win, win. Exactly. So of the 61 companies that took part in the trial, 56 of them said that they would continue to implement the four-day work weeks after the pilot ended. 18 of them said the shift is going to be permanent. Like they're doing this permanently. Amazing. There were two companies that ended the the experiment and were going back to normal five-day work Monopoly weeks. Monopoly man motherfuckers. Yeah, totally. But- how amazing. It was beneficial for everyone to shorten the work week for their workers. Like, that's an incredible finding. Yeah. And so my suggestion is let's do more of that. Totally. <laughs> like, yeah. this study is, I mean, it, it's, it, it would be interesting to figure out how this model works because I know that like di- different kinds of jobs have different sorts of compensation models salaries, hourly wage, you know, you'd have Mm -hmm. to make adjustments to figure all that out. But like, 
it's it seems like a no-brainer. And here we have study a, a study proving the fact that humans can work more productively yeah. and be happier. And have like more 50% more personal time every week. Exactly. If if they if they actually spend less hours working, fewer yeah. hours working. Amazing. So more of that, please. Love it. Yeah. That's great. How about you? Oh man. So this is great. So it is an oblique suggestion, uh, which I will convey by reading a, uh, a Mastodon post that I saw this week that blew my freaking mind. Okay. So here's what it says. The reason most public transportation is seen as losing money is precisely because it charges for trips. If you don't charge fares, suddenly it can't lose money. It just costs money the same as roads. Oh my God, Yes. Head explodes. Oh, I, you know, I saw something recently similar to that in terms of how we think about public transportation and how we think about roads. Roads are public transportation. Yeah. And we don't pay to get in our car and we don't pay anybody to use the road to go to the grocery store. Right. Or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. we need to shift our thinking on that. Yes, we do. Public transportation is public transportation. Whether you're using a private vehicle on a road that's paid for publicly or you're getting in a vehicle a train, a bus, or whatever that's paid for publicly. Yeah, the only difference being that option B is way better for the environment and for the roads and for everything. Yes. So. Wow. Yeah. That was that was great. Okay, yeah. Good suggestion. Good suggestion. I'm taking that on board. Mm-hmm. And yeah, let's do free public transportation. All I right. I like that. So uh, this feels important. Please hold for a very important message. So this is not a happy good, this feels important. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. So um, we got to talk about Florida. Oh man, again. Yeah, I know. Uh, Well, there's an authoritarian (laughs) running it. It's a it's a whole thing. So uh, I'm just going to summarize here uh, from a uh, just we get an email thing at the end of each day, just kind of summarizing the day's news from you know from from a certain perspective. Uh, And here's what it has to say. Republicans in the Florida House of Representatives have introduced a new education bill that would drastically remake publicly funded schooling in the state in a way that can only be described as fascistic, like fascism, right? If passed, Florida House Bill 999 would force state colleges to remove programs, and this is all a quote, of any major or minor in critical race theory, gender studies, or intersectionality, or any derivative major or minor of these belief systems. Universities would also be prohibited from funding or supporting any programs or campus activities that espouse diversity, equity, and inclusion, or critical race theory. Uh, And it is just a kind of Bonkers is, I mean, I don't have a lot more to say about the app. It's just like really, like they're just really el- important. Eliminating whole areas of study related to yeah. race and gender. So, and- yeah, exactly. This it's, this little mini article goes on. It says, uh, University of Michigan law professor uh, Julian Mortensen, who specializes in constitutional and international law, called this a, quote, breathtaking control of viewpoint and content throughout all academic activity in the entire Florida school system. Core classes like history and anthropology will not be allowed to present American history contrary to the creation of a new nation based on universal principles stated in the Declaration of Independence. That's in the language of the law. Like the law says you can only teach history. America's good. That it's it's just totally like mythical nationalist point of view. Yep, absolutely. 
It, it basically means that any history curriculum uh, in public school, any public school, uh, primary, secondary, or uh, you know, or college, uh, can only portray the United States in an expressly positive light. Right? Uh, it's really nuts. Uh, it's just it's the kind of stuff that we like have criticized dictatorship, like authoritarian regimes around the world for for years. Like, yeah, totally. You know, like, like I think about how we've like expressed disdain for how China doesn't allow you know anything, but like China's great in you know yeah. in, in every like school setting. We or, make fun of it. We do. It's so it's, obviously authoritarian and dangerous and regressive. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think this totally links back to the conversation we had about the Dilbert guy. Oh, for sure. Like, if you can't face, if you, if, if you. If your worldview can't stand up to the scrutiny of actual study of real historical events, yeah. then you're just selling a line of bullshit yeah. to protect your own place of perceived power in the world. Yeah. And you like know, someone who is practicing actual intellectual rigor would see that disconnect mm -hmm. and they would reassess their thought processes to get themselves to a place that is more aligned with actual reality and history. Right. But if they cared about reality. Well, that's it. But they don't. They care about power and control. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my God. I know. It's just, it's it's so fucking weird that it's almost tempting to be just like laugh at it, but it's so dangerous. It is. It is. And yet we can't allow ourselves to like get into this like I'm so scared mindset either, because that's nope. exactly what plays into an authoritarian's hand. Like totally. they want us to be in a fearful posture. Yep against this stuff. So maybe we should laugh. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> you know? So people, you know, fuck these guys. Also, like, be on the alert because this stuff is coming. Like, if you, unless you live in one of the, like, 10 or whatever states in this country that affirmatively cares about protecting against this sort of stuff, I'm talking basically about the West Coast, the Northeast, and a couple really specific places in the center of the country, like mm -hmm. Illinois, and that's about it. Minnesota, maybe, yeah. <laughs> Partially, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's, uh, this is coming. This is coming everywhere. It's really, it's really weird. It's really scary in some ways. Uh, what, it, what, what's scary about it to me, it's honestly not so much scary, it's just like depressing. It's like, <laughs> It's depressing and then scary when you think through the ramifications. It's just depressing that a whole generation of kids is going to be raised with a fundamental and purposeful misunderstanding of mm -hmm. American history. Because mm -hmm. the point of erasing history is so you can do it again. History has taught us that, ironically. Right. right. Like, if you can make it so a whole bunch of people don't know about the dangers of authoritarianism, dangers of fascism, dangers of this sort mm -hmm. of power-hungry control mentality, like it enables people to do Nazism again, right? Yeah. It enables people to, to, to recreate those conditions mm -hmm. here. So, you know, that's, it's, it's depressing that a whole generation of kids in certain places is just going to be raised fundamentally not understanding what's going on. And then also it's really scary to think through what happens when they become adults and are in control and just don't fundamentally even understand there's a problem. And indeed, think that the people who say that there has been a problem in American history are lying and are not patriots and are America haters. Yeah, you know what this tracks with for me personally? Like, I, I see the that this you know, kids being raised in this education, kind of educational system that denies history, mm. it tracks with, like, people raised in a cult. Or sure. raised in, like, fundamentalist religion that, that does not leave any room 
for exploration of ideas outside of the approved ideas. Yeah. You know, and and the, I mean, it is possible to break out of those those belief systems and to find a way. I, I count myself as like an example of that. But holy moly, it was painful mm-hmm. and and caused a lot of disruption in a lot of people's lives and a lot of hurt, you know, uh, for me to have to break to me for for me to break away from that. Like it's it, it's really it's cultish. Mm-hmm. It is cultish. Mm-hmm. Um, God, yeah, that is depressing. Yeah. Uh, thanks for sharing. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> no, I know I it's important. Yeah. No, it is important. That's why we talk about it. Um, yeah. Well, I think I could really use a stop now at the inspiration station. Inspiration station. Yeah, this is going to make everything better. Why don't you go first? <laughs> I've got one too. Okay, great. Um, my friend Naomi on Instagram just is a a constant steady stream of awesome thoughts on her stories. Yeah. <laughs> I'm constantly sharing stuff that she has shared uh, in, in her stories on this podcast. So thank you, Naomi, for being so awesome. Um, but she shared this week uh, a quote in her stories from uh, Cole Arthur Riley. And this quote really just landed for me. It says this, The things I will become, I am called to them because on some deep plane of the soul, They are already true of me. I choose them out of a fidelity to self, not an aspiration towards an idealized self. Hmm. And I just, I really loved that. Like, I feel this makes sense to me, this idea that like the things that I will become, the things that I feel called to, for lack of a better way to describe that, things I'm compelled toward, Mm -hmm. I'm compelled toward them because they're already on some deep level a part of me. And so going after them is not like making myself into something great or the most ideal version of me, but going after them is actually just a a, a realization of myself. Yeah. I love that. That's neat. Yeah. What do you have? Oh, man. So everyone probably knows that former president Jimmy Carter has entered hospice care. Yeah. Right? And so apropos of that, people are just starting to write about, you know, his uh, his history, his legacy, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And there was just the best thing. So he's just, if you don't know, anyone listening, like he, he was president at a weird historical moment. Uh, there was a lot of transition going on in the world. His foreign policy was problematic. And he has been, uh, he has been sort of like roundly criticized and sort of portrayed as being like a weak and pitiful president by some people, you know? That's so wrong. I think he had, he, but he led heart first in so many yes. things, which was so wonderful, you know? Mm-hmm. He was the first person, just total side note here, but he was the first person, the first president really ever to center human rights in a foreign policy context. Wow. He fundamentally redefined how America thinks about foreign policy by introducing human rights into the equation. Because mm. before him, America was just kind of fun with siding with despots and murderers and autocrats mm. as long as they were, like, they supported the U.S. back. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, didn't cause trouble for us in our expansionist, empirical, uh, Im- empiricist, imperial, <laughs> yeah, imperial, yeah, uh, aspirations, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so, you know, anyway, that side note aside, uh, post-presidency, uh, Jimmy Carter spent the last, like, you know, 40 plus years, you know, just doing amazing shit mm-hmm. all over the world. And there's this one particular thing. Uh, I'll just uh, excerpt here a little bit from uh, Brian Class's newsletter because okay. he summarized it really well. Great. So, 
In the mid 80s, nearly 4 million people were infected by guinea worm each year. Caused by the parasitic roundworm Jacunculus medinensis, it's certainly a disease you wouldn't want to experience. The infections come from stagnant water in which the worms lay their larvae, but the worms mature inside the human body. Over the course of a year, an infected person eventually plays host to a worm that grows to become about a meter long, about three and a third feet long. Once full grown, the worm creates a lesion on the skin and then escapes from the body. Oh, God. Right? We're talking about a three-foot-long worm crawling out of you through a hole in the side of you That's that it, it has made. That's a horror movie. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It produces agonizing pain in the process. Uh, most of the time, these worms exit through the legs or the feet. Uh, fully removing the worm can take days or weeks. It's extremely painful and often leads to secondary infections. Most people who get sick are debilitated for weeks or months, and some develop permanently disabling joint pain. It's just a really, really nasty parasite. Yeah. Jimmy Carter decided to do something about it. Uh-huh. There was no glory in this. This wasn't like cutting a ribbon or raising funds for a high-profile cause. In the United States and other rich countries, few people had ever heard of guinea worm. So Carter wasn't exactly about to generate front-page publicity for taking the parasite on. Mm -hmm. But he nonetheless decided to make it a core of his post-presidency public health agenda. And it's hard to overstate just how successful he's been. Uh, Before Carter got involved, guinea worm was prevalent in 21 countries, infecting at least 3.5 million people per year. Today, that figure is down to just 13 cases per year. Oh, my God. From 3.5 million people per year to 13 cases per year. Wow. It's a reduction of 99.99% in just a few decades, making it one of the most successful public health interventions in history. Experts estimate that without the efforts of the Carter Center, roughly 80 million more people would have been infected by guinea worm. Instead... They were saved from excruciating pain and crippling disease by a former president who gave a damn about a disease that nobody else seemed to care about. Oh, my God. Isn't that just... It almost makes me want to, like, cry a little bit. It's just, like, Uh, so wonderful. Yeah. He just saw a problem that doesn't affect white people in the United States at all. It Mm -hmm. affects brown people in in poor places where we generally export problems to, not interventions or help. Yeah. And he's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this. I have the ability to help fix this. I'm going to do it. And he essentially completely fixed it. We need to all be like Jimmy Carter. We do. Oh, my God. Really, really, really wonderful. So super inspiring. Just made me feel very, very, very happy. Yeah, that's very inspiring. Also, I want leaders like that. I want, I want leaders yeah. <laughs> who put human rights at the center of foreign policy. I want leaders who lead with their that lead with a compassionate heart. Yeah. We we can have that. We can have we? heart-forward leaders. We can have that. We could have that. All right. Why don't we wrap up today's episode with a gratitude crank up? Do you want to do first today? Happy to. Okay. So, um, you know, circling back in my mind a little bit to what I alluded to earlier, just a conversation with a friend, uh, you know, the instability, the trauma that it came from, all of that. I just, it really made me feel very grateful to have been given the chance to get to a stable place in my life. Yeah. You know? Because when I was talking with my friend, like, like 
I relate so much to the trauma that like their current experience is coming mm-hmm. from because that was the kind of trauma that my life, like I had a lot of it when I was a kid and mm-hmm. it just manifested through my 20s into self-destruction, mm-hmm. you know, all the same kind of stuff. I was just hearing them talk and, and hearing my own experience from 20 years ago reflected back to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but I, I got a chance to, to change that. Not a lot of people do, mm-hmm. you know? I'm really mindful of that and I'm just so grateful that I am just in such a better place in my life um, and have such amazing tools to hopefully sort of keep things that way, mm-hmm. keep things stable. Um, yeah, not, not everyone gets that chance I have. So that's that's a lot to be grateful for today. Yeah, I'm uh, right there with you on mine. I, I wrote this down uh, not long after you shared with me mm. your conversation with your friend and... Um, yeah, so today I just, I, I wrote that I'm grateful for my recovery and which has established the foundation of every good thing in my life and which gives me the tools to keep me on the path every day. I just, I'm so, so grateful for that in my life. Amen. Love it. Yes. Secular amen. That's not a Jesus amen. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you all, thank you for listening today. Thanks for spending a little time with us. Yeah. We just are um, very, very grateful for you giving us your ears for a little while. Yeah, we are. We're also grateful to the people who support our work in an ongoing way. Uh, we have had a lot of really cool opportunities open up to us since Shannon's new record came out. And the reason that we're able to pursue them and to grow what we're doing is because we are supported financially by a group of people who believe in the work that we're doing in the world. Mm -hmm. This podcast, for sure, the music, for sure, but also all the other stuff, all the mentorship, all the community building, you know, all of it. It's kind of a package deal with us. You you don't get one without the other. People who support our work in the world make all of it available to the world, including to the people who aren't available or able to to pay for it themselves. Because you know what? Poor people don't deserve any less access to good things, art, community, cultural stuff, than wealthy people, you know? Uh, When I was a kid, like... I was really fortunate. My parents has had some money and were able to take me and my sister to go see cultural stuff, you know, the symphony, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't recall seeing poor people at the symphony, you know? <laughs> and at the time, I didn't think much about it, you know? It's kind of like, yeah, well, you know, people like us go to the symphony, I guess, you know? Uh, but people I, like but us. I, I really yeah. only understood when I, you know, much later in my life, what people like us means in mm-hmm. that context, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's really fucked up. Like, it's it shouldn't be the case that if you don't have money, you don't get to experience the better parts of living in this amazing world, mm-hmm. you know? We want you, Shannon and I want you to be able to, to take full advantage of every single thing we're putting into the world. All the community stuff, all the music, the books, the writing, the mentorship, like whatever it is, that's open to everybody from us. We are able to give it away freely to the world because of the people who support it financially because they are able to in the full knowledge that other people can. So if I've just described you and you're not yet a supporting member of our work, please become one. It's a small dollar monthly kind of thing. You just sort of sign up, comes back out of your bank account every month on that same day into the future. Uh, Most people do 10 bucks. So if you're the kind of person who's like, yeah, I'm a $10 heir. It's like a millionaire, but just for $10, (laughs) right? I'm a $10 heir. Throw that 10 bucks at this. You'll be helping us continue to do this work that we do. You can do that at misfitstars.com slash support. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. 
We'll be back next week. Uh, we will have more to say about our mystery release that's coming Friday. Oh, man, people, you're going to love this so much. I can't even underscore. You're going to flip out. It's so good. But until then, please uh, take good care of yourselves and be good to each other. Yeah, we love you all. Bye. Bye. Bye.